ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Well, hey, it's another podcast from your good friends at... Is this too cheerful, Matt? Is this okay? I think it is a little. That sounds really cheerful. Okay. We'll probably dial that down. Hello, everyone. No, no, no. I'm fine with you, you know, keeping it up. And we've got a Richard Osman podcast for yeah. the First Murder Club, uh, which is terrific. And we, we introduced a thing where we're going to do ads because we haven't got any ads at the moment, but we're, you know, so, but that's not going to stop us doing them. So we're no, no, do we a, just love ads. So the, so I'm going to do an ad that we haven't been paid for. I'm just going to mention stuff, okay? I don't know if you've good, got anything. Good. I, I, yeah, I've got go. something, yeah. Okay, all right. So this is the Books of the Year uh, podcast with Stokes Sauces. Their tomato ketchup, their chili mayonnaise, their Seville orange marmalade, and their spiced apricot chutney are really fabulous. Since 2004, they've worked with rare passion to combine quality and texture to come up with the finest condiments. And I love Stoke sauces, and I endorse every single one of them. Thanks. Now, now. <laughs> They've worked on the marmalade with passion, have they? That's yeah, good. of course. Rare, okay. rare passion. I think you'll find that. So this is yeah. the Books of the Year podcast with Stokes Sources. What have you got? Uh, I'm going to say Jumbo Oats. Um, I love my porridge. Uh, I have my porridge every day, uh, every morning. And But I will only accept Jumbo Oats in my porridge. I don't want any of your normal rolled oats. None of that. No, I want my Jumbo Oats. And they tend to be Jordan Jumbo Oats, just because that begins with a J as well. But it has to have Jumbo Oats, only the very biggest oats for my porridge. This podcast is brought to you in association with Chapel Down Wine. Uh, From the Kent countryside near Tenterden, the finest English wine, world class. They work with rare passion to provide texture and quality. (laughs) (laughs) The Bacchus and the Rosé particularly fine, that's... Chapel Down Wine is a whole new feature whereby companies get ads for free. For free, as long as they work with rare passion on their chutneys stroke wine. We, we need to oh. welcome Richard Osman, by the way, uh, who is sitting somewhere, probably in a, in a back room in his palatial mansion somewhere in the Surrey Hills. Hello, Richard. Hello there. I'm actually in a plunge pool in the Maldives, but carry on. <laughs> okay. Imagine if I it's were. Taken a... <laughs> it's, so it's another one of these virtual things which you're doing because of, you know what, and the reason why it's taken, it's just taken a very, very, I've aged about 100 years. And the reason why <laughs> is because... Um, the Wi-Fi was being taken up by Child 3, who's just the other side of that wall over there. 
because he's oh, yeah. downloading. Oh, yeah. He's down. He was downloading video because he's editing stuff for QI. In fact, this morning he was editing Richard Osman. You're kidding? Really? No wow. way. Yeah. That. So we've. So he. So I need to apologise to QI because um, the, the 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 videos just had to pause a minute because otherwise we wouldn't be able to hear Richard. We wouldn't be able to do this podcast. That is oh. amazing. That would wow. be awful. Yeah. I'm very impressed with Child hey, 3. My child is currently on Grand Theft Auto and is no doubt robbing somewhere <laughs> right now. So, well done, Child 3. <laughs> anyway, Richard, it's very nice to have you on Books of the Year. How are you? I'm really well. It's lovely to be on. Uh, how are you? How are you getting on? Well, I was fine until I got all cross with everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the public don't see a lot behind the mask, do they? If, they, if they'd have to hear some of the stuff we've heard the last 10 minutes, boy, oh boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. All the anyway, music what are you in doing? the world wouldn't soothe their souls. <laughs> what are you doing writing a book, anyway? Well, I know. Well, I might ask the same as you. Um, well, listen, I mean, yeah. you've, you've known me. We've worked together for many years, Simon, and I was, I was, I was a writer when you first met me, and I've always been a writer, really. But um, as you know, writing a novel is a very different uh, is a very different discipline. And you know, I've been ever so busy uh, for many years, first producing and then and then presenting. I sort of had a bit of a lull, and I, like you do, I thought I'll give myself a month maybe to to start a novel because uh, I had an idea. And you know, after the month, I had twenty thousand words, and I thought, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop now. So I did it completely in secret, didn't tell a soul I was doing it, uh, didn't show a word to a soul as well. I just wanted to see if I could get it done. Uh, and 18 months later, because it does take a while, um, I, I had the Thursday murder cover in my hands and uh, it hasn't been the sort of roller coaster hasn't stopped since, which is lovely. The most, the most exciting thing is I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who's done did it the same way as I did it. Because when I wrote Itch many years ago, like nine, ah. ten years ago, I, did, I didn't tell anybody. I, I mean, no, I didn't. Yeah. You know, didn't have an agent, didn't have a deal, didn't have a publisher. Yeah. I just thought Same. I was, I was, I was writing it for the aforementioned Child Three, who's now doing other things, uh, editing tape and stuff. But, um, it, but it was so. It was really quite exciting. The fact that people say, "What are you doing?" Oh well, I'm right. I'm writing this thing. Yes, but what is it? And you just don't want to tell anybody. Yeah. So was it? Well, I think was what, it slightly what, odd to sort of let it go. Well, this is what I think, and you probably have the same thing, which is I sort of know, it's a funny thing when you're on telly, and you know that if you do go into a publisher's and say, oh, I would like to write a novel, you sort of know <laughs> that some publisher somewhere will go, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, go on, you do it. Uh, and you would have, you would never have any idea if it was good. You would not have a clue. So I thought that I'm going to write the whole thing just for my own sake, and I'm going to send it to an agent who I sort of know and who will look me in the eye and tell me if it's bad or good. Because you know, agents by and large know what they're talking about. So I sent it to um, to, to Juliet Mush, and she's terrific. Uh, and I said, look, if it honestly, if this is not good enough, just say, and we'll never speak of it again. Uh, and fortunately, she, she 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 liked it, and we took it out to publishers, and they did. But I, I would have let it go. I would have just gone, okay, I, I did it. I'm proud that I've had the discipline to do it. But uh, you know, having someone look at it and just go, no, that that's like an actual book by an actual writer. You know, that's the nice thing, isn't it? Rather than, you know, a Radio 1 DJ or a quiz show presenter. Yes, and then when someone hands you the, the finished copy for the first time, it's like, oh, right, it's a permanent thing that I can put on my shelf and it'll be there forever, rather than forgotten within five minutes. Um, which is weird, it's, because it's like, because people always say, oh, what's it like when you have your name on the credits of a TV show? And and that it's sort of quite ephemeral in some ways. And this, I've been surprised how different 
this is. I have to say, I've been surprised quite. Oh yeah, quite how permanent uh, and real uh, this is, and how how different it is as a as, as as a creative form to to what I'm used to. I've loved it. Okay, Matt is now going to describe the cover here of Richard yes. Osman's The Thursday okay, Murder so- Club. Well, it's important to say, I read this, uh, it was a few months ago, so obviously the copy I've got is uh, one of the advanced sort of uh, preview copies, so I'm hoping that the cover I've got is is the correct one. So Richard would jump in, Will, if mm. I get this wrong. But basically, it's a, it's a great cover. It's a re- There's a red border over a uh, sort of creamy white background, Richard's name in big black block letters at the top. Uh, but in the centre, we've got... Uh, well, that's a sort of it's either a fox or a dog. Uh, it's with a fox. A sort of, it's a fox with a with a red bushy tail, and then the Thursday Murder Club, murder in black, and the Thursday Club in red. Is that is that the cover that's that's going to be in the stores? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's a few nice quotes from other authors on the on, on the front cover now, but uh, but which, which we didn't have at that point. But yeah, that's the cover. It's very sort of 1950s ish vintage crime. Yeah, it's great. But, uh, you know, with a slightly modern twist. Yeah, so we've got lovely quotes from Kate Atkinson and Ian Rankin on the cover now, which (laughs) makes it look very professional, I have to say. I was thrilled by both of those. Okay, so take us inside the Thursday Murder Club, take us into Cooper's Chase and introduce us to some of our key characters here, Richard. Yeah, the basic principle, I I went to one of these retirement villages uh, a few years ago. It's a beautiful place out out in the countryside, you know, not not an old people's home, but, you know, a whole village, you know, and it's beautiful. It had lakes and kind of, you know, green rolling hills and all this kind of stuff. And everyone there was over 70, essentially, right out in the middle of nowhere, but a really big community got, you know, pool, you know, restaurant, all this stuff. Uh, And when I was there, I looked at my phone and saw I had no phone reception. And you know that thing that all thriller writers say these days? They say the worst thing that ever happened to the thriller was mobile phones because it's very hard to put people in the position where they can't just get out of by like ringing their mum or something. Uh, so they say we're always looking for places where there's no mobile signal. So I immediately thought, whoa, this would be a brilliant place for a murder. Um, not to commit one, but to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to, to set one. And then when uh, I, I sort of met up with some of the residents, you're chatting away and hearing them, uh, chat, I thought, oh my God, if there was a murder, these people would solve it. And that was the basic principle for the Thursday Murder Club. It's four um, people, all in their late 70s. Um, Elizabeth, who uh, used to be a spy. Joyce, who used to be a nurse. Ron, who used to be a trades union activist. And Ibrahim, who used to be a, a psychiatrist. Once a week, they meet up and go over old cold cases. That's one of the things they do. They have the Thursday Murder Club. They meet up, have a few glasses of wine, and try and solve old cases. Um but then someone is murdered on their doorstep and suddenly they get dragged into that investigation. So it's just about these four very, very unlikely friends, and they are very unlikely friends, uh, and the real world really being thrown at them and the way they, they navigate their way through that and the way they try and catch uh, the killer slash killers um, and just sort of the lovely thing of having four people in their late 70s being the absolute heroes of a, of, of, of a, of a roller coaster thriller. How did you cast it? Richard, when you because obviously there are lots of other people who are in Cooper's Chase, but we focus on yeah. the four that you've just mentioned. Did you have uh, a, a bigger cast to start with, and then reduced it down just because we need we can only follow a certain number of people? How, how did you decide on Elizabeth, Joyce, Ibrahim, and Roy? Uh, Ron, basically? do you know what? I honestly think that was a day one decision. I thought I want there to be four of them. I'm a TV guy, and so in formats, you always think, what's the simplest route through this? You know, what's the way that people are going to find this easiest? Four sounded good. Two men and two women sounded good. Um, 
I want that. You've got two middle-class ones, two working-class ones, you know, uh, which sounded good as well. And they each bring different skills to it. So Elizabeth used to be a spy and is still able to uh, call upon certain people at certain times, which is helpful. Joyce, being a nurse, has those skills she brings to it. Ron, as a trades union leader, is incredibly bullshit at all times. And so he he has a different approach. And then having the kind of um, uh, the... Uh, the, the mental acuity of Ibrahim and being a psychiatrist. It just means whenever there's a problem or an issue in the book, I've got four completely different ways to come at it. And I think more than four ways would be too many, but fewer than four ways, I think I'd lose some of the, the, the really lovely group dynamics. Their, their, their friendships are such a joy to write. Yeah, so we, ha- we have a, a fantastic murder mystery, but it is laugh out loud funny. In fact, I... I as I went through, Matt, I think I knew the bits that you were going to laugh out loud at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so there, and, and and I mean this entirely as a compliment. This mm. reads like a Richard Osman book. This this is funny the <laughs> way you are always funny. So when when you write about the Waitrose van that rattles with wine and repeat prescriptions, I think, <laughs> yes, that's funny. Yeah, every, when, every, every when time Ron, it goes over the cattle grid. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And when Ron just stands up and shouts, "It's thanks to Thatcher," I'm thinking, <laughs> "Yes, that's Matt yeah. laughing." Anyway, Matt, take it away. Yeah, no, I, I and I, I love this book. I, I remember reading this. I think it was a. I think it was at the start of lockdown, so it was around about March, and it was it absolutely lifted me up. I loved it, and I oh, loved it. Be, be, there are a number of reasons why I loved it. But number one is because it's funny. And here's my point, is actually Mm. that could be the only reason, and it need be the only reason why I love this book is because it's so funny, because that is so hard, uh, I believe, to achieve. Now, I I was, um, during lockdown, I've been listening to loads and loads of um, podcasts, and I heard an interview um, a couple of weeks ago uh, with um, uh, the American stand-up comedian Jerry Seinfeld, and um, yeah. he's often he's often been criticised in the past for uh, his comedy not having a sort of central message to it, or you know, some some political mm. bent to it. And his point was. Being funny is the hardest thing you can do. So if it's already the hard, why would you try to do anything else? Because trying to make mm. people laugh is the hardest thing. And I, I and, and that's why when I said, you know, there are a number of reasons why I love this book, but actually it being funny is reason enough for it to fly off the shelves. Making it funny, I, I, I suppose it's a ridiculous question, but how hard did you work on the funny? How hard did you work <laughs> you know I mean? on making this funny? I mean, I'm going to say the exact opposite. Honestly, right from the start, my natural instinct in all situations is to find the funny. It just is. That's that's the way my brain works, and you know, that's the way my that's where my heart is as well. Uh, I thought at the start of this because I love crime fiction, uh, but I think comedy crime fiction is very difficult. So I thought, whatever you do, don't make this funny. Right? No jokes. <laughs> uh, and actually, there are no jokes in the book. I think it's funny, so people are responding to the funny side of it, because the characters themselves, the situations they yeah. find themselves in, and the way they deal with them, they each have very, very individual takes on the world, and uh, and, and and their behaviours are very individual. And the second I throw the real world against them, they just react in funny ways. And I think, I hope, uh, someone will point this out if, if I'm incorrect, I think every single bit of comedy comes from character. You know, every single bit is adding to your knowledge of these characters. None of it. There's not a single stand-up joke in there. There's not an actual... At no point did I think, oh, I'm going to make someone do a setup and a punchline here. There's no, there's yeah. none of it at all, I don't think. Um, so I genuinely thought, right, don't 
don't make it funny at all. And within the first four or five chapters, because I was enjoying writing those characters and they were making me laugh, and that was the key, really. And I thought, well, look, you're sort of not going to be able to go through this book without making it funny. So at least have the characters be the ones who are who are, who are making us laugh or making us smile. Don't have the author sort of writing some torture gag. So I think my view would be I took the 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 story incredibly seriously. I, I I hope we're not taken out of the story at any point by thinking oh someone's written a stand up routine here. So the story kind of does its job and 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 and, and it's tight and there's a who done it and you're guessing, but you're spending time with these characters who are making you laugh. I hope that's the kind of plan. So my answer to the question how did I make it funny was I tried desperately not to make it funny. <laughs> does, <laughs> does that help? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, that that's superb, and it it's odd because I found myself as I was reading it, as I was laughing, thinking, "Why is why is this so funny?" And it's interesting that you say because there aren't any jokes in there. It's it's how mm. they talk, and I I know right. So there are two schools of thought when talking about comedy. There's one school of thought that yeah. says, "Don't talk about why it's funny because it's like a delicate spider's web of furry <laughs> dust and will crumble in our hat." I'm giving a clue as to what I think of that school of thought. Yeah, yeah, and there yeah, is yeah. another school of thought. <laughs> There's another school of thought that says, I need to tell you how smart I am and I will now explain to the person who's written the book why it's funny. Mm. But I I, I think it's... um, My route through was Joyce. The way Joyce talks just had me howling. And I I wonder when you were writing... Did you... Because obviously you you went to to this care home. Did you tape people? Did you... Or was it literally just... was, Was Joyce just springing out from your subconscious, as it were? Yeah, she is. It's interesting. So she's, she does first-person chapters um, sort of in, interspersed throughout the book in, in, in the form of a diary. Uh, and she was, yeah, any time I've stuck at all, I would go back to Joyce because I just find her very easy to write. She has the sort of brain that I have, which is she will start talking about something and that will remind her of something else. That will then remind her of something else and then she'll get back to her original point, which is how my brain works. And so I'd love to she'll start talking about something funny, then it'll, something tragic will happen, then she'll tell you something from her past, and then she'll go back to something funny. Uh, and writing that was uh, was uh, a, a, an absolute uh, joy. So let's, here's a couple of examples, I think, of which is showing what Richard's talking about and also what Matt's talking about. So, um, and this is another bit that I think Matt will have found funny. Uh, we have, uh, is it Ventham or Ventum, our nasty Ventum. property development? Ventum, chapter? Ian Ventum. Right, and here's the smoothie that he takes from the Range Rover icebox. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. it's his regular smoothie made of a punnet of raspberries, a fistful of spinach, Icelandic yogurt, Finnish if they're out of Icelandic, spirulina, wheatgrass, uh, something cherry powder, I don't even know that word, kelp, acai extract, cocoa nibs, zinc, beetroot essence, kia seeds, mango zest and ginger. It's his own invention, he calls it Keep It Simple. Okay, there's, so there's, there's, the, there's the first one. I have to say, I would quite yeah. like, I like the sound of that. Um, are you taking the nice, people right? who like that kind of smoothie? I mean, you know, that's, that's the kind I of just, thing. I'm and just it, commenting it, on people who like it. That's right. Okay, well, uh, I, have a num- I have a few questions about foodstuffs. So here we go with DCI oh, yeah. Chris Hudson, who's one of our mm. coppers, right? Yeah. Chris takes a swig of Diet Coke. He sometimes worries he's addicted to it. He had read a headline about Diet Coke once, which was so worrying he'd chosen not to read the article. <laughs> now, you know? That's, that's, all, that's kind of a joke, I think. No, but it's, it's not a joke, but, because, 
because because it's true because we've all done that right anything yeah. that we do yes. as a habit yes. and suddenly if it says oh the thing about having your white think about having your phone next to your bed you think you know what i don't want to read the article because <laughs> i want to keep my phone by my bed so that comes from truth i hope uh and it's uh, but i've done that a million times diet coke especially i was addicted to diet coke and then you give it up every now and again and then you're back on it there's something in a hundred years time Diet Coke is going to be a much bigger deal than it is now. Historians will, they will literally look at this brown <laughs> liquid with nothing in it and just go, what, why were people obsessed with this thing? And there'll have been something in it. So uh, that, I think, 100% counts as a character stuff. Okay. Keep it simple. I'll give you it was almost a joke. I'll give you that. Yes. Okay. My other foodstuff observation is, I think, probably unique to me. Because I've had an argument with you about this before. Uh, uh, again, okay. the aforementioned DCI Chris Hudson, uh, is he, you have him having his lunch and he eats a Twix. Now, I yeah. love Twix and I know you've been very, very rude about Twix. Now, I, So yeah. I instantly know that you don't think much about DCI Chris Hudson because he's eating a Twix. You would not have given him a chocolate bar. You are dismissive. In fact, you are de- you may, you've made derisive comments about him in the past. If you'd Good actually Lord, liked him this is a revelation. Coffee. No, this is no. This is this is my view. There is is Chris wants to eat a chocolate bar, right? And then he's thinking, yeah, but I really should be on a diet. So he goes for the chocolate bar that's most not like a chocolate bar. That's almost like a biscuit. And if it's a biscuit, it's almost a piece of fruit. You know, that, that's what he's thinking. so. I'm giving. That's what I'm you said last the, time. It's I'm giving him the worst. I'm giving him the fruit. worst chocolate bar. You know, because Vague, I'm but trying, I knew that there was. But you were judging him. You were judging him by making me. It wasn't a. It wasn't just a, a, a carefree. It could have been any. It could have been a Mars. Could have been a Milky Way. Could have been a packet of Maltesers. I knew that the fact that he was eating a Twix. It was value laden. That comment. <laughs> but it also shows. It shows that he's a, he's in a depressive mood as well. Because why on earth else would, would would you be eating a Twix? <laughs> there you go. I. You're right. Matt, Matt, I rest my case. Yeah, you do. Have, I mean, we have a Twix. De- we have a Twix denier. Well, exactly. I'm yeah. a big fan of Twix. I mean, what on earth no, is his problem? No, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> no, listen, I, I don't mind it, but don't call it a chocolate bar. It's a biscuit. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And I could have written a chapter about it. I chose not to. I chose to make a very throwaway <laughs> comment. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's where I leave the Twix for, for, for this book. The thing that, okay, one, one of the things cool. that I found that was most joyful about this, and I shall make this comment, and then Matt will pick up once he's worked, the satellite delay is a little <laughs> bit annoying between three people. But anyway, one of the things, one of the sort of, apart from the fact this is utterly engaging, it's laugh out loud funny, oh, is that the spirit of these four people, in fact, the spirit that runs through most of Cooper's Chase, is that there's a line yeah. when you're talking about Ibrahim, and you say, This morning, Ibrahim is needed. It's what he lives for. And I think mm. it's that. These these folk in, who are seventy plus suddenly are energized, a bit like in that movie Cocoon, which I absolutely yeah. loved and thought was terrific. Yeah. You have people who have so much to give, so and they know that they've got something to give. It's just no one's listening to them, and they're yeah. energized. They feel wanted, and that's the kind of spirit that runs through everything in this book. And I loved it for that. Well, I hope so. And, and the idea of that is 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 not to say, oh, it's a revelation. People in their 70s are useful because we all know that. And so it's not like someone comes, to, no one goes to them and says, oh, I wonder if you could use your skills and help us out because, you know, so you're so wise, aren't you? You know, <laughs> they take it upon themselves. They interfere. They get themselves, you know, they get other people into trouble. They Because they're, they're 
we're not saying oh, old people have still got skills. Old people are young people. I mean, there's no difference. They're exactly the same. They suffer the privations of age, you know, in, ter in terms of illness, in terms of being around death a lot and grief and, 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 and things like that. But inside their head, they're still identical. Uh, and so I, I literally gave no, uh, other than some physical characteristics, I, I, would, I didn't let their age get in the way of anything they do because they, they, they behave pretty badly all the way through and they, they, they bend people to their will because people do overlook them and people do think that they, you know, uh, you know, old charming old people. And of course they're not, they're just, they're, they're, they're like the rest of us and they want to get involved and, 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 and they want to solve the murders. I bet, well, right, you've, you've said that your final word there is what I, I want us to talk about now, which is because, of, the, of course, the book is called The Thursday Murder Club. So let's talk a yeah. bit about murder. I'm, I'm not going to mm. say who gets murdered because that, that comes uh, pretty far into the book. So let's not say who it is. But we know this person is a bad un because they park in the disabled bay at Waitrose. And as, and as I think yeah. as we, we've discussed before on the podcast, and we did with Sabine on our, on our last show, uh, there are always subtle ways that authors find of saying, this one's a bad yeah. one, so let's look forward <laughs> to them meeting a grisly end, shall we? And them yeah. parking in the disabled bay at Waitrose, unlucky sunshine, yeah. off you trot. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I did love that. So I, I, I want to talk about the murder side. And yeah. in your acknowledgements, you talk about how you had a chat with Mark Billingham, who's been on this podcast yes. as well, um, and that he offered you two pieces of advice. Now, tellingly, in the acknowledgements, you don't say what those two pieces of advice are. No, are. I don't. Are you, are you going to say what they are? Or, Good question. Or, 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 Good or is it, question. Yeah, or is it, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're not going to tell us, because otherwise you'd have put it in the book. Um, it's interesting because I think both parts of one particular piece of advice is very, very telling in what happens in this book. So I wouldn't give that piece of advice. I'm not keeping them secret and no one else can know them when I'm using them. I think for this first book, because they were very useful to me and actually they, they, uh, there's, they, 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 they sort of at the heart of some things that happen. I'll keep them to myself for the second one. I promise you, I would tell you, they're both super simple. They're nothing crazy. They just helped me. And one in particular, I think, might trigger something. You might kind of see a particular thing in the book differently if I gave you that, if I, if I said what that piece of advice was. Uh, but, you know, honestly, his main piece of advice, which I can say, uh, and most authors will say this, is he just said, look, just do it. Just sit and write, you know, and trust your voice and get on and, you know, get it done. And that's the main piece of advice to to anyone. But yeah, I know that's really annoying that there's those two pieces <laughs> of advice. And actually, they wouldn't work for lots of people. They just, for particular reasons with my story and my characters and my plot, they worked really perfectly for me. So I was incredibly grateful uh, uh, to him for that. So I'm really, really sorry. But at some point, I'll say, I promise. Did he did he know the sort of basic plot or premise before he gave you that advice? Is that why it's particularly uh, no? No, he wasn't. No, it, it, it wasn't even structured. I, it, it just for, for for a number of reasons uh, chimed in my head with something. It, it was just it was opportune. I would say it's annoying now without knowing the advice. It's so frustrating, uh, and I promise you, it's not. It's not something that uh, is going to rock everyone's world. It was just uh, he was incredibly supportive and helpful and just a couple of little tips that actually made me think, oh, perhaps I can do this. Perhaps I can get this done. It's almost like Matt's trying to write his own book and trying to get some <laughs> tips and some craft from the master, oh, isn't oh, it? Oh, do, yes, indeed. Well, listen, if you t I'll tell you now, if you take Mark Billingham out for, out for a Turkish dinner uh, up in New Barnet, he will uh, he'll give you Is all the Is he in New Barnet? I could literally be in his house in five minutes. 
Brilliant. Oh, there That's you what go. we're doing after this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cheap date. Listen, be- be- before we finish, Richard, just tell us about, because um, I think we're going to hear quite a lot about Cooper's chase over the next few years. Tell us about old Parker, you know, him from Mamma Mia 2 and Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Tell him what his ideas are. Come on. Uh yeah, so I'll, um, we, we uh, this obviously you can you can imagine with the sort of setting and the characters, you you can see a sort of TV or film version of it. So so we kind of had we had a, a little kind of auction early in the year, and in the end I sold the movie rights to um, Amblin, which is Spielberg's company, which is lovely uh, and and <laughs> wow. exciting, and you just think okay, uh, and. Um, so old Parker, who I adore, is just absolutely brilliant. He's writing and directing. He's he's, he's in the middle of putting the script together uh, at the moment in lockdown. And listen, people sell their rights to books and movies and stuff. And nothing ever happens. So uh, my breath is not held particularly, other than I'm in very safe hands with them. And Ollie is such a genius. Um, and so hopefully something will come of it. Because the one thing I have to say, everybody who reads the book, everybody, you've got these four heroes all in their 70s, everybody casts them in their head. Every single person says Judy Dench or Julie Walters or Maggie Smith or the Americans said Diane Keaton. Uh, you know, everybody wants to cast all of these people. Uh, and it would, it would be a, it would be a very, very well cast movie. I suspect were, were it to be made. Well, there's a lot to look forward to, but first of all, you have to get a hold of the book and Richard Osman's The Thursday Murder Club. It, if you're looking for something to take on holiday, if you are going to get to go somewhere, this would be a, a really top recommendation from us because uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Richard, thank you very much indeed. Uh, it, also, elsewhere, we're going to give Richard uh, our top Q&A uh, session. Oh, lovely. Uh, but Richard, thank you very much indeed and Pleasure. all the best. September the 3rd, think- Thursday Murder Club. Right. So now you're being a bit corporate, is that right? Just at the end? No, no, no. Because, but listen, what have I done? What's my whole career been? My whole career is selling. Always has been. I try and make something I love, and then I try and sell it. So September yeah, the third. Our, the audio your book, job is to be slightly more modest. We'll say, I'll say September the third, and then you'll go. Thanks, Simon. That, that, that's really that's, nice. God, I didn't trust your professionalism there, did I? That's an absolute sorry. Super. Snub from me there. I'm going to work with you. Not now, time. Simon. Yep. September the third. September the third. He's not going to mention the date. We're going to say goodbye. What am I going to be? There'll be no date there. He he won't say that Leslie Manville is reading the audio, but people like Leslie Manville. Really? Yeah. Wow. Hasn't she? Didn't she win a? Has she won an Oscar, or she be nominated for an Oscar? Nominated, yeah, for for, for, nominated Phantom Threads. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I was beyond chuffed with that. People keep saying, "Are you going to read the audio book?" And they said, "Mainly, it's written in the voice of a seventy-five-year-old woman, so not so much." Nope. Uh, said, Sorry, oh, Richard, thank you very, th- thank you very much indeed. September the third, I think, uh, for that. And <laughs> if you can't wait until September the third, there'll be another Books of the Year podcast with Richard uh, doing our Q and A for the moment. Thank you very much. Pleasure. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, 
as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.